This is CTN Viewpoint on CIO Talk Network. Welcome listeners. This is Sanjog All and your host and the topic for conversation is achieving global scale and globalization. And I have with me Sahal Lahar, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer with Brooks Brothers. Hello Sahal, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Doing very well. How about yourself? Very good, sir. Thank you. So, Sahal, whether it is me at Brooks Brothers store, which I definitely plan to visit shortly here in Chicago or someone in Japan, for example, both of us would expect predictable quality of experience being a global company. And that is in terms of products and services. And at the same time, would like to experience similar responsiveness and customization that I could get as if it was a local store. So as part of digital transformation, we know that organizations are trying to develop such capabilities to achieve both the global scale and localization. What are some of the top challenges? I think the top challenges really stem from the fact that uh, you need to have a strong digital core. And the digital core, there was a period of time where everyone honed in on 360-degree view of the customer. That is obviously a very important piece of it, but it really goes beyond that. And to me, the digital core needs to be a global, single-instance view of your customer, product, inventory, and financials. And if you can get to that, then you are well on your way to being a truly global company. The challenge with getting to that, obviously, is that it's extremely complex and, and costly, to achieve that because traditionally all customers have systems that are spread across many different infrastructures, many different vendors, and there is no global standard for a lot of these processes. So even if you do invest in a, in a global platform, there's significant work to do to kind of get that global blueprint, which I would classify as the lowest common denominator of processes, which you can use on a global scale, and then augment that with that 15 to 20% of local flavor, which would include, obviously, all of the local regulatory requirements, financial requirements, um, statutory reporting, etc., but these are complex journeys. We, they're multi-year projects. And I think a lot of times the, the issue really is that if you have systems that are operating and supporting the individual regions, it's very hard to justify from an ROI standpoint the need to go to these a single instance with what I would call that global core. So, for example, when Walmart went to India or Disneyland Open in Hong Kong, they must have had to customize their workflow management, sourcing, staffing, supply chain, and many other things that you already mentioned in order to be locally responsive and effective. Now, on this front, this would have required them to have the internal technical teams to customize the experience while also complying to the global standards, which are essentially opposing goals. So how do you think organizations can realistically balance global efficiencies on one hand and effective local presence on the other and actually have and achieve a desired state in both areas. Absolutely. So I think it really starts with significant investment in business process transformation because you really need to look at your business processes on a global basis and break them down to the level where you can get to that lowest common denominator 
and really have that serve as the foundation of the global footprint. And what that refers to, obviously, is the basic facets for doing for closing books from a financial standpoint or fulfilling a customer order. Those are the same whether you're in Japan or you're in the U.S. And so you have to standardize on those things and focus on that as kind of that lowest common denominator. And then you, it's really important from a organizational standpoint and a, and a culture standpoint to really engage with the individual region that you're talking about to understand the specifics of the go-to-market strategy for that particular country or region, as well as the specific requirements that might emerge from a financial standpoint or a statutory reporting standpoint, et cetera. But I think the, the biggest kind of lesson learned is that even though you want to get the global efficiencies here, the most important thing is that you really do invest in face-to-face, on-site period of time within that region, because you really need to understand firsthand how the customer wants to interact with the brand there. That might be slightly different to how they expect the level of service in, in another region or your other regions. And I think the other thing to never lose track of, right, is that the user experience and let's use the term users in a very broad term to include not just the customers, but also the employees and the associates. The user experience really, that all of that work has to be done in region because it has to have, obviously, a consistent overall corporate branding and so on. That's easy to do. That's fine. You can do that anyway. But ultimately, it has to really take place sitting face-to-face with the users in that region who can guide that design to be successful. Now, what what all you just mentioned is definitely important as what you have to do at the business process level or strategy level. And we, some say at least that execution eats strategy for breakfast. So when it comes to execution and you've been invited in to say, okay, while we have this great strategy which we want to execute, how can IT help? And when you try to get your technical teams on one hand to help with standardization, on the other hand, you want to have even create some ways to create that local or globalization effect, if you will. Yes, what what yes. does it mean for your team? Yeah, so I, it really requires a fundamental shift in, in culture and mindset from an IT organization because you have to operate in a true shared services environment. And what I mean by that is to break down the barriers and the silos which traditionally exist where each region has kind of their own point of view and their own resources and their own approach around how they go about using technology to meet business requirements. So that piece obviously requires significant upfront alignment and buy-in from each of the, in our case, each of the the regional CIOs and the, the country heads of IT in the smaller regions to really adopt that model and to work in an environment where they are not going to have full ownership and full accountability of all of the resources that are required to support that particular region. And that there may be a shared service center or there may be several shared service centers that operate globally and support the global business. And in addition to that, we have to 
be very, very disciplined in driving standards. And that alignment is is as important as the people and kind of mindset alignment, because if we adopt a, a particular platform, let's say for our HR system globally, we have to make sure that if any biases that exist in the smaller regions with a local vendor or a legacy vendor, we overcome those up front because otherwise there will never be true adoption of this global process and this global core. So I think it's an extremely complex process that requires significant collaboration, not just uh, up front, but really on an ongoing basis to make sure that the regions that their needs are still being met, their unique needs, right? Because uh, they need to know it's not, we're not just going to push a one size fits all. But also, they need to understand that 75-80% standardization is very important. And especially now when we talk more about cloud solutions, right? The cloud solutions, if you have a cloud platform for, let's say, let's go back to the HR global system, that is not going to be something where you can have drastically different configurations by country. You, you really need that core 75-80% functionality to be standard. And then there will be obviously unique workflows and there'll be unique payroll considerations and benefits considerations and so on. And, and those can all be considered, but the basic process for how you do talent management and performance management and succession planning and, and all of those. And again, what I'm emphasizing here is the process versus the package. So what you, you took a great example of HR. Now, there are many other processes, whether it is supply chain, the sourcing, workflow management. And since you mentioned shared services and in order for them to be predictable, I'm assuming you would essentially get into a very heavy automation mode that whatever that common denominator you need to maintain, you would want to automate the processes related to it and the workflows and the infrastructure. Now, all that you do to achieve that global scale that we are talking about. At the same time, when you're trying to customize we say that we want to be able to give that responsiveness and the local efficiency and effectiveness. We want to be able to do that, but then what is the level of customization attainable at a local level so that on one hand, we're trying to standardize. So what is that balancing point, if you will, where we do not see the customization starting to cannibalize on the shared services you took so much time and effort to automate and put in place? Absolutely, absolutely. So I think, again, you really need that global alignment and sign-off in terms of what are our core processes. What is that 75-80% lowest common denominator? And after that, we equally, we need the, the same level of alignment to say, and by the way, here's the five things that don't fit into that bucket. That could include, obviously, user experience, uh, data privacy, because obviously different regions will have different data privacy regulations and, and requirements, and then there's financial, statutory, et cetera. So I think if you can get people to understand that for that, that core piece, there's, there's really no trade-off in adopting a global standard because, again, those processes are, are agnostic. But then showing that there are pieces here, and I think I really come back to from a, from a user standpoint, right? It, it really, to me, is about user experience, and then there's going to be 
there might be some data elements that are specific to that region. There might be some, some different identifiers. There might be a different type of loyalty program you're running, et cetera. So you can then enrich the core with those elements as opposed to reinvent the core for that region. I think that's the, that's the main differentiator. But I think it's very complex now. Again, when we talk about cloud and cloud hosting in, in a lot of ways, it's virtual. And that creates, uh, obviously, challenges from the standpoint of data privacy and data protection regulations, the legacy safe harbor regulations in, in Europe that are now evolving into kind of a new standard for, for data protection of EU citizens' personally identifiable information. All of that, in some cases, has very specific requirements, such as that data cannot be stored outside of the EU. And so you're really going to have to look at your your overall strategy and it's going to be beyond just the business process level but you also have to look at from an execution standpoint and an operational standpoint what does this mean and how are we going to achieve that are we going to have some specific servers that are that are resident in the EU that that support those needs for the let's say the clientele information for our european customers versus the the product master, right? I mean, the product master and all of that, the, the supply chain, purchase orders, all of that, is those really can, you know, can be more agnostic. Let's take a quick break. Listeners will be right back. And Sahal, when we come back, let's talk about the technology solutions which may be currently available and the way they're evolving. Are they enough to enable smart automation. The reason I use the word smart automation is on one hand, you want to build those shared services in the manner you mentioned to be most predictable and so Mm -hmm. that it gives you a predictable outcome. At the same time, can we even automate what is the customization that's expected in a given region so that less of a human intervention comes in, which also based on it gives you the predictability and perhaps even data security that we are talking about. So, or, or because if you're making changes to a system, if even those changes to the system or infrastructure or processes are, if you have a possibility of doing automation on them, then frankly, what you're doing is you're reducing the risk while achieving that goal of becoming globally scalable and also achieve localization. So what are the challenges? What are, where are the technology solutions? What is left to be desired? Let's explore that when we come back. Please stay tuned, listeners, and let's talk more. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. This is CTN Viewpoint on CIO Talk Network. Welcome back. So Sahal, as I was saying, we want to have technology solutions help us in achieving what we are trying to say here, which is global scale and globalization. So if we are trying to, on one hand, create shared services, which require predictability, which means we have to do automation to the nth degree in order to achieve that. On the other hand, we would love to have ways by which we become intelligent 
or have those solutions that are available to be intelligent that they allow us to do smart automation so that even if there is localization to be done or some local effectiveness and responsiveness to be achieved, then there are ways by which you can make that happen without having a human intervention, if you will. Is that even available as a technology solutions? Have they evolved to a level? And if not, what's left to be desired? I think there there certainly are a host of solutions that fall into this bucket that have come a a long way in the last 18 months or so. And I think are are really now at the point where they are giving us a significant competitive advantage when implemented correctly. So let's start with one which is really around machine learning, right? So machine learning is in its simplest form, computer intelligence that doesn't have to be explicitly programmed. And so what that means is that these platforms will look at vast quantities of data and really identify proactively for you the trends and the exceptions and the anomalies in that data. So you can then take, you can translate that into actionable insights from a business standpoint. You know, traditionally, Everyone has had a lot of data, right? If we take just even one region, that's a lot of data. But once you aggregate that across all of your global regions, it's a significant amount of data. And we cannot achieve what machine learning offers us, even if we hired 100 people in every region, because there just honestly aren't enough hours in the day for people to sit there and, and comb through the volumes of data that we have accumulated over time. And now you obviously have to also take into account external data. We have to take into account external data such as social media information, weather patterns, because weather patterns are going to obviously drive our merchandise planning, assortment planning, our replenishment. Obviously, we don't want to send replenish sweaters to Florida in February when it's already 85 degrees. So all of that data... I think requires machine learning to be adopted. And that can really, I think, give a very big strategic advantage for for any business in any industry uh, when used correctly, because everyone says we do big data, but the reality of it is that all they're doing is traditional data warehousing, and no one is able to provide those proactive insights. So I think that one is a very compelling one and, and has, again, widespread applications. But then I think the other piece here is is really around the Internet of Things, right? And and smart sensors, beacons, devices. So there's, I think, significant, you know, advantages from an operational efficiency standpoint. And, you know, to your point around just let's take care of the automation in a truly global fashion, right? Because from an RFID, if we're using RFID tags for inventory management in a factory, you know, it doesn't matter whether the factory is in Massachusetts or the factory is in China. The, ultimately, we have to keep track of the same things. And so I think this is where now you can add this level of automation that is going to give you even more efficiency and get your business to the point where some of these things that are table stakes, such as how many finished products do I have in my factory, which in the old days required a lot of effort to look around in different parts of the, the factory floor and different stations and so on. Now you really literally can 
look at that real time in a dashboard. So I think IoT is going to play a, an increasingly larger role. RFID has been around for a little while, but now we're getting more and more sophisticated with other sensors and beacons that can enhance the customer experience. It was traditionally in retail, we've always had uh, traffic counters, right, which in its simplest form was something that was at the door and it was a sensor that if, as soon as you walk through it said, okay, one person walked through. And if you went in and out five times, it, you know, according to that traffic sensor, five people came to the store. There was no way of knowing who came in, who, you know, if you came in with your kids, then it said five people came in together. But the reality is that maybe there's only one buyer or, or two buyers in that group of five. So, now there's a lot more sophistication when we when we take some of these smarter cameras and translate that into more sophisticated traffic management and heat patterns of your store. Where are people going when they come in? Are they all going right or left or the majority of them going left? And, and what does that mean for how the store is set up? What does that mean for how we can get more traffic to a particular item that we're promoting, a particular display for fall sweaters right now, for example. So I think those, all of those pieces have huge potential again, and they're still pretty much in the, in the early stages. They're not, they haven't been widely implemented. We are, um, from a Brooks Brothers standpoint, piloting some of these in a handful of stores that they have not yet gone made. And then I think the final piece that I would just highlight is bots. Right. So bot, it really can, again, drive an additional level of automation and standardization globally because they can engage with customers. They can engage with employees. And, you know, honestly, when you combine the three that we've talked about in some fashion, and that would be the bot, the machine learning and some kind of sensor, then now we have an extremely compelling value proposition. Now, is there any specific gap that's left, would you say, in, in that kind of smart automation solution? So you mentioned about IoT and big data that, of course, are a means to an end. But when you're trying to execute and the technology solutions, which actually would allow you to do that smart art automation, would you see there are any gaps left? Yeah, I do. I do think that there's always room for improvement because we, we live in such a competitive market and, and world now where customer demands and customer expectations continue to change. We continue to have higher and higher expectations around level of service and engagement and collaboration from our customers and employees, our partners, our distributors, etc. So there's, there's definitely, I think, still gaps because a lot of these, for two reasons, first of all, everyone hasn't adopted these, but second of all, there's adoption hurdle. And what I mean by that is that uh, if we take customer engagement as an example, and we take beacons in the stores that, that really, when implemented correctly, can drive a significantly differentiated level of uh, customer engagement. But the challenge is that they usually require something on the smartphone of the customer. And usually that's your branded app, which is great for your existing customers. But how do we provide that same level of engagement and that same level of automation for someone that has just walked in off the street and has never shopped at Brooks Brothers and does not have the Brooks Brothers mobile app? So I think there's still some gaps in terms of a lot of these are, are I think, very good ideas, but there's still significant hurdles that need to be overcome before they can go truly mainstream and and provide you with the the end-to-end type of solutions that that you're looking for. 
Let's talk people and culture. So what type of issues do you think we need to be managing in order for us to achieve this global scale and globalization? And let's also include the type of employees related motivation or vision that we need to offer them so that they are following this path of global scale and globalization. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think it has to start at the top and you need to have the executive level sponsorship and you need those transformation and change management champions that are driving your agenda forward and evangelizing these ideas in the, in the, from the standpoint of what's in it for the associate, what's in it for the customer, etc. And, and really having a good elevator pitch in terms of how you as you pick the constituent, if it's a store associate or a corporate associate, whoever it is, factory worker, we need to have a very compelling elevator pitch in terms of what is the value proposition for you and how is this going to make your job better. Now, obviously, the, this is a, a very delicate area because when we talk about automation and we talk about some of these capabilities such as machine learning, there's a high degree of resistance right off the bat because people will equate automation to replacement of human labor and replacing jobs. So you need to be very clear around what is your, why are you introducing a particular technology? And in the case of machine learning, like I said, there's no threat to existing jobs in most cases because no one has a 500 data analysts, statisticians, or data scientists sitting around combing data, right? People just don't have that capability. People may have a small organization of a handful of data scientists, but I think the the value proposition has to be stated. And in that case, you talk about the fact that we can achieve the scale that we just can't even come close to today with people. In other cases, it it is a little bit more complex and, and, and harder because there might be a small segment of what is now human labor that is going to be automated. And I think it's important to, to be very upfront with that and, and be very candid about what is that, what, what are those one or two areas, what does that mean, and how are we going to address that? Are we going to add some additional new responsibilities to someone's job title so that we don't have to cut heads? Or in some cases, the reality of it, right, is that there may be there's certain headcount that might be going down. When we talk about bots and when we talk about virtual personal assistance and things like that, there's absolutely a, a very tough organizational question around how do we adopt that and not have a, a big impact on our on our associates. So I would say the transparency and collaboration are, are, are key, as with any other change management exercise or activity that we we do this and we engage people early in the process rather than publicizing it when we've already figured out the solution. I think if you can bring people on the journey from the beginning or as close to the beginning as possible, it's always going to be a much better outcome. So one final question is what kind of new skills and shift in mindset we would need in order for us to have the business and technology leadership embrace them and then in that we're using that and leveraging it to successfully carry out such transformations. Absolutely. I think that one to me really comes down to the type of people that are are willing to take risks, the type of people that are are, are not just creatures of habit that are have a degree of anxiety when introduced to a new solution or a new platform. Um, but there's someone who is really very open minded and can challenge the status quo and really have that 
level of innovation in their DNA where they they want to continuously find new ways of doing things that are, are better and more efficient and faster, cheaper, etc. So I think one of the things that we've done is uh, we've created an innovation group, an innovation lab, where we have a cross-functional team with representatives from every part of the organization and then some people that are dedicated to this function as well that really will look at these some of these new, new technologies and look at how can they be applied for our brand. Is there a, there a business case or value in, in us adopting them? And if there is, then how do we test that in a lab type of environment? And, and then once it's successful there, how do we kind of graduate and, and roll that out to the whole chain? So I think that innovation is key, but let's not reduce the role or, or minimize the importance of the, the, the traditional associate skill set of people that are focused on operational excellence and keeping the lights on, right? Because again, you have the digital core, which is very important. That needs to be running regardless, and that's a table stakes thing. And so you're always going to need to have that piece, but this other piece is important. And I think in some environments, it's good to kind of have the bimodal IT type of application where you where you have a separate group, right? And and there's people that are very good at kind of the traditional pieces and keeping the lights on, and you let them focus on that. And then there's others that are maybe the group that you you're building in terms of the these other folks that have more of that innovation, continuous improvement mindset. Once again, thank you so much, Sahal, for sharing your thoughts and insight about how organizations can leverage IT and automation and other changes in business and processes to achieve global scale while becoming locally responsive, which is to achieve localization. Thank you. And listeners, I invite you to find related conversations on our website at ciotalknetwork.com. This is CTN Viewpoint on CIO Talk Network.